What did you want to be when you grew up? What did you want to be when you grew up? I mean, that's a question. They always start asking it so early. I mean, when you're in preschool, they're asking that question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And then they write it at the top of the page, and then they make you like do a little drawing of what it's going to be. Then you get into to middle school, and you have these dreams and ambitions, and the teacher's like, well, you're terrible at math, so you can't be that. And then in high school, it's getting a little more real. You have to figure it out. But I love this question. I love asking kids this question because it highlights a lot of deep desires inside of us. It gives interesting answers a lot of times. So I want you to think about that. And then actually right now, I want you to turn to your, the introverts are going to hate this, but that's okay for just a moment. Turn to your neighbor and tell them what you wanted to be when you were growing up, okay? Take a second and do that if you have a neighbor around you. Okay, so what, what are some of the answers? What? Artist? A pilot? What else? Over on this side, what do you want to be when you grow up? Drive the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. That's an interesting answer. You want to be ballerinas. Wow. I mean, these are all interesting answers. And now, I think what's more interesting is what a latest survey revealed among 8 to 12-year-olds when they were asked what they want to be when they grew up. The number one answer, YouTuber. YouTuber was the number one answer. Now, if you don't know what a YouTuber is, uh, Grace, who did announcements, you can ask her later. Uh, you know, I don't know if she's going to be a YouTuber one day, but she has the personality for it. A YouTuber. Now, y'all might not know who this guy is. This is Ryan. This is his YouTube channel, Ryan's Toys Reviews. Last year, Ryan, eight years old, made $10 million. Um, this year, he's on track to make a lot more than that. His channel has over 25 billion views. Anyone in here ever seen one of Ryan's videos? Okay, what he does is he literally unboxes toys and, and kids go nuts over watching this online and then they beg their parents for those toys. So YouTuber was the number one answer. And then after that, we had a teacher, then professional athlete, then musician, and finally, astronaut. And now, you might not, you know, be familiar with YouTubers. That might be kind of surprising for you. Uh, but what wasn't surprising to me when I heard this list of answers for this generation, and when I think about the answers that we gave ballerina and driving the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile, uh, things like that, is that below a lot of our answers to this question about what we want to be when we grow up is a desire really for greatness and a desire for significance. I mean, if you think about Ryan and his channel, I mean, one reason why kids want to be YouTube stars these days is because YouTubers in our culture have, have some of the greatest influence of all people among their generation. You think about a teacher. For a lot of kids, a teacher has had a great and amazing impact on a student's life. Or a musician, you know, people want to have great talent or an astronaut. They want to go and do great things. I mean, I think when all of us, when we're little and even now, you know, we don't want to wake up and think, you know what, I want to live a boring life. I want to live an insignificant life. No, I think all of us deep down want to live a life of greatness where, where God is doing great things through us, where we're seeing significant things happen, where we're making an impact on the world. All of us want a life like that. And I think that's one of the reasons why we love the story of Joseph in the Bible. 
It's one of the reasons why this story is so enduring, why kids generation after generation love it, why it's one of those stories that's etched in our memory. It's one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible because as we're going to see today, ultimately it's a story of God doing great things through Joseph. Yes, as we talked about the last few weeks, it's a story of drama, intrigue, betrayal, lies, and, and, and craziness, which I'm kind of drawn to. But I think one of the other reasons is as we're going to see today, it is a story about a great God doing great things through this, this boy and this man named Joseph. And so Joseph's story takes place at the end of Genesis. And if you haven't been with us, I want to just catch you up briefly before we kind of look at a big section of Scripture today, Genesis chapters 40 and 41. And we're not going to read all of those passages. We're going to kind of jump around. But to catch you up, if you're not familiar with Joseph's story, it really begins in Genesis chapter 37 when we find out that Joseph is the favored son of a man named Jacob. And Joseph, when he's young, he has a dream. And Joseph's dream is that one day his family, his brothers, and others are going to bow down to him, that he's going to be in a position of authority over them. And as you can imagine, his brothers, they don't like that. So what they end up doing is they end up selling him into slavery and telling his father, Jacob, that he's dead. And so then once he, he goes into slavery, he, he's sold off, and then he goes into a man named Potiphar's house, who is one of uh, Pharaoh's kind of rulers, top, top men. And there, he begins doing great things. I mean, there, as a slave in Potiphar's house, he begins to have influence and take care of things inside the house and outside the house. But then he hits a snafu, snafu when Potiphar's wife says some lies about him, challenges his character, and then he's thrown in prison. And that's kind of where we pick up the story today. And in prison, he was given authority because God was with him and he began managing some different things. And then after a while, one day, something interesting happens. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and really chief baker are thrown into prison with him. And they each separately have dreams. And one morning they wake up and they're looking kind of downtrodden. And so Joseph says to them, hey, hey guys, what's wrong? And so we pick up here, Genesis chapter 40, verse 8. They, they answer him, well, we both had dreams, but there's no one to interpret them. And then Joseph said to them, well, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches in your dream are three days. And within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup back in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison, for I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve to be put in a dungeon. So we find Joseph, who has the gift of interpreting dreams, we find that, that he, he discovers, look, the cupbearer is soon going to be back with Pharaoh. So he does what I do to my friends who I think are going to be famous one day. Y'all ever do this? Hey, remember me. Remember me. Don't forget us little guys when you, when you get the money and when you get the fame. Please remember us. And so he says, look, remember me when you go back into Pharaoh's house. And then the baker, he's like, wow, that's an awesome dream. That's an awesome interpretation. And so he's like, hey, Joseph, interpret my dream. And then he says, well, your dream means that you're going to be killed. And he's like, oh, 
Three days later, he's killed. And then the chief cupbearer is elevated to a high status in Pharaoh's household again. And then, as the story continues, there's a verse that always just makes me kind of like sad when I read it. And it's verse 23 in chapter 40 as it continues. And it says this, that the chief cupbearer, however, didn't remember Joseph. He forgot him. He forgot him. And so for two more years, Joseph was there in the prison. And yeah, he was working. He, he was having authority. But I mean, can you put yourself in his shoes and just imagine what those two years were like waiting thinking, God, you gave me this dream so long ago, wondering if this dream is going to come true. Two years, day after day, he worked and he waited, he worked and he waited. And then one day we find out in Genesis chapter 41, Pharaoh had a dream. Pharaoh had a very interesting dream, which I want you to read about on your own, that involves cows and grass and big cows, and languishing cows, and he just can't figure out what, what the deal is with this dream, and he's like the other guys. He's kind of downtrodden and a little confused, thinking, what does this dream mean? And so he does what powerful people do. He called his magicians who were at his side, and he said, look, interpret my dream. They couldn't do it. So he called other people in his kingdom. He said, hey, guys, look, tell me what this dream means. They couldn't do it. I and mean, you have to realize Pharaoh is a god in their eyes. I mean, he's the top guy, and he can't figure out what's going on here. And then at that moment, the chief cupbearer remembers Joseph. And he remembers, he's like, oh, two years ago, this guy who was in prison, he interpreted my dream and the baker's dream, and actually they both came true. And so Pharaoh says, go get him. And so Joseph gets cleaned up, and then he comes before Pharaoh, and then we pick up chapter 41, verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So Pharaoh tells him about his dream. And Joseph said, look, this is a dream telling you about what God is going to soon do in this land. And then he says to Pharaoh, picking back up in verse 29, seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. And the abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. And the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And so then Joseph, he, he keeps going with his kind of administrative mind thinking about how this can all be worked out. He says this, he says, Now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance, and they should collect all the food of those good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by famine. And this plan, it seemed good to Pharaoh. And to all his officials, so Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, Joseph, one in whom is the Spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Well, since God has made all this known to you, 
There is no one so discerning and wise as you are. So you shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And then as it continues in chapter 41, we see Joseph being put in charge of the whole land. He gets a gold ring so he can do business in Pharaoh's name. He gets a new robe. He gets a wife. He gets a chariot. I love it. He gets a gold necklace. He gets all of this stuff. He gets all of this authority. And then he begins taking charge over the land. And for seven years, just like the dream said in his interpretation, there was so much food and so much abundance. It was a great time in Egypt. And during those years, him as part of the government, they began collecting a portion of the grain and everything and putting it away. And then sure enough, there were seven terrible years of famine like they'd never seen before. But because of Joseph's leadership, because of his interpretation of this dream, everyone in Egypt had food. Everyone had food, and not only did the people in Egypt have food, all of a sudden people like the Hebrews and people from other regions began coming as well because they didn't have food. And soon, all of these people from around the world received food and survived the famine all because of God working through Joseph. I mean, who doesn't want a story like that, right? I mean, who doesn't want a story where God is working through you doing great and marvelous and really miraculous things like that, where hungry people are being fed, where God's dreams for you are coming true? All of us deep down want a story like that. We want a story of a greatness, of a great God working through us in great ways. I think all of us ultimately, we want to end up where Joseph ended up, but there's just one problem for us. We don't want to go on the journey that it took for Joseph to get there. Right? We all want to end up where Joseph ended up, but none of us want to go on the journey that got him there. We don't want the hardship. We don't want the trials. We don't want the waiting. You know what? We live in a microwave generation. And actually, you know what? I've been thinking about it. I don't think that's true anymore. We don't live in a microwave generation. A lot of people, we don't use microwaves anymore. Now, we just order our food online and have it delivered directly to our house so we don't even have to get up from the couch and press the microwave buttons, right? We want stuff delivered instantly to us. We want instant gratification. We live in a viral culture where kids and other people are hoping one video, one Facebook post, one special thing I do, and then it's all gonna go viral and we're gonna have a a huge life. We're gonna make some money and we're gonna hit it big. A lot of us, want significance, we want meaning, and we want greatness now. But one of the things we see in Joseph's story is that God doesn't typically work that way. God typically works slowly over time in our lives. See, Joseph, he didn't move immediately from the pit that his brothers threw him in to the palace. He didn't go from from caring for a little bit of stuff in Potiphar's house to overseeing the economy of a nation in an instant. All of this stuff, this, this wasn't instantaneous things that he was achieving. It's not like greatness came to him overnight. One of the things we see here in this passage is that before God began to do great things through Joseph, God began to do great things in Joseph. 
And the same is true for each of us in our lives. I I truly believe that God wants to do great things through each of us. God wants us to each have a great impact in our world, but before God does great things through us, God wants to do great things in each of us. He wants to develop us. He wants to shape us. He wants to make us into people who can handle it when we get to that next stage. And so this morning, I want to walk you through some of the different things that we see God doing in Joseph's life before he went on to do great things through Joseph's life because I believe that God wants to do a lot of these same things in each of our lives. Before we go on to do great things, I think God wants to do some of these same things inside of each of us. And when we look at Joseph's story, one of the things we see is that throughout all of his trials, throughout all of his situations, wherever he finds himself, one of the first things we see God doing is God developing skills and gifts inside of Joseph. See, when a lot of us read this story, we read it like we've read it this Sunday and throughout this series, right? We've read it, we're, we're three weeks in. And we're like, man, Joseph's life is just like up and down and it happens so quickly. It's so exciting. He was in the prison and now he's in the palace. But you have to realize that all of this took place over a period of 13 years. Joseph was thrown into the pit by his brothers and sold as a slave when he was 17 years old. And it wasn't until 13 years later that he was ruling in Pharaoh's kingdom. And during those 13 years, a lot happened. God was working in him to develop him into the leader he wanted him to be. You see, think about him being in Potiphar's house. There, Potiphar gave him responsibility. He said, look, Joseph has a gift for leadership and administration. So he said, look, I'm going to put you over the things inside of my house. And so he took care of the things inside the house. And then... He began taking care of things outside of the house. He began to give him more and more responsibility. And then we know that that Potiphar's wife lied about him. Then he was thrown into prison. But even in prison, we see the same thing happening. Joseph has these gifts inside of him. And God continues to develop them as, as he gets authority over other prisoners as he gets authority over other things. And even while he's waiting on God to do something, he continues to work and he continues to live out these gifts that God's given him. It's the same thing with his dreams. He has this gift of dreams. He had that dream when he was an adolescent. And then he's interpreting dreams along the way so that by the time he gets to Pharaoh's palace, he's been tested, he's been tried. All of these things have been developed in him. What I want you to see here is that before Joseph stepped foot onto the public arena and the public stage, God was developing him and shaping him in private. And this is the same thing we see in Jesus' life. I mean, think about the first 30 years of Jesus' life. I mean, what was he doing? Do you know? No, we don't really know. We have a few verses here and there. When he was in his 20s, we're not quite sure. But what we do know is that he was growing, he was developing. 
God was doing things inside of him, even though he was God, that's hard for us to understand. God was doing things inside of him that set the stage for his public ministry later. For 30 years, we don't know what Jesus did. We know what he did for his three years of public ministry. But that time was necessary. God was doing great things in Joseph before he did great things through Joseph. And I'll just be honest with you, especially being part of the younger generation. I mean, I I want things instantly. I don't want to wait 13 years. I don't want to wait 30 years for an impact. All right, my generation, we want want an impact now. We want to see something now. We want to see results now. But as we learn from Jesus and from Joseph, that's not how things in God's kingdom work. Instead, in God's kingdom, it often works like this. It often works like God being a gardener. And he puts little seeds in each of our lives. Skills. Talents. Abilities. Gifts. And over time, he grows them. But a lot of the growth happens in the dark. But over time, as these things are nurtured, as they're sustained, as God works in us, they grow to have a great impact and great significance in our lives and in the lives of other people. And when I think about Joseph's story, I think about when I was 17. That's when I gave my first sermon. I don't really remember who asked me to give the sermon. I don't remember what it was about. I don't know that it touched anybody's heart or that God did anything crazy significant in anybody. I do know this. It was probably pretty bad and mediocre. But I also know that that was the beginning point of God doing something in me, of God developing me, of God shaping me for the life of ministry that he had called me to. When somebody asked me earlier, they said they shouted, what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, when I was young, I felt God calling me into ministry. And, and, I, and I'm still growing. We're all still growing. We're all still developing. God is still working in each of us. And so I want you to think about this morning, what skills, gifts, or abilities has God given you? And how might God want to grow those things in you during this season of your life? You don't have to wait to be used by God until you have some huge platform. He wants to use you right now, but what are those things in your life that God wants to develop, that he wants to grow in each of you? I want you to think about that. And as you think about that, I also want you to see that God wasn't just growing skills and abilities and talents in Joseph. He was also growing something else. He was also developing Joseph's character all of this he was developing Joseph's character and Joseph's character was developed like a photograph largely in the dark Joseph went through many trials I mean his family betrayed him he was a slave he was lied about and then he was put into prison I mean you have to think he went through a lot of difficult times and difficult trials. And it was through all of that that his character was being built. I mean, Joseph had so many opportunities 
to be bitter, to be angry, to be unforgiving, to be resentful, to take a little here, to take a little there. I mean, right? He, he probably wouldn't have gotten caught if he wanted to do a lot of things, but Joseph remained faithful. Joseph remained steadfast. Joseph's character was growing through all of this. So by the time he got to Pharaoh, he had the character he needed to lead on that level. He knew what, what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 3. When he says this, we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. God was developing his character all of those years. And I, and I think we could all agree that, that people in our world, if we have one need today, it's a need for greater character in our leaders. And, and just us as people. And this isn't just character and leaders outside of the church. This is also true for, for people inside of the church, for leaders inside. And Kerry Newhoff, who's a pastor, he recently said this, which I thought was very profound. He said, competency may get you in the room, but character keeps you in the room. And above all, character endures. It's what your family and friends remember about you. And ultimately, it gives you the moral authority to lead. And character is what gave Joseph the moral authority to lead that nation and to lead all of those efforts. And character is something God wants to develop in each of us before we go on and do great things. And you might be wondering, well, how, how is character developed? I mean, yeah, it's developed over time and a lot of times through difficulties, but it's largely developed one small decision at a time. Character is developed as we choose forgiveness instead of unforgiveness. Character is developed as we choose kindness instead of harshness. Patience over impatience. The way of Jesus over the way of the world. And these decisions, it's like if you were to to put a dollar in your bank account each and every day, right? It doesn't seem like much. And after a week, you think, well, I only have $7 in my bank account. But over time, putting a dollar into your account each day for a lifetime, that will grow into something significant. And it's the same way with each small decision we make. It's an opportunity for our character to grow. To grow into what God wants it to be. So God was growing Joseph's character. He was growing in him his skills and the abilities that he had given to him. And then the final thing I want to highlight that we see being developed in Joseph is really Joseph's dependence upon God. His dependence upon God. The last couple of weeks we've looked at where God is in all of us in all of this, and one of the things we see is that when Joseph was in Potiphar's house as a slave, God was with him. And then later, when Joseph is in prison, God was with him. Throughout all of these difficulties, Joseph began to know and understand that God was with him, that God was sustaining him, that God was guiding him, that God was never going to leave nor forsake him. 
he knew that his life was fully dependent on the living God. He knew that he had no future without him, that he had no present life without him. He knew that he could do nothing apart from God. And so when he gets in front of Pharaoh, I love what he tells Pharaoh. When Pharaoh says, hey, look, can you interpret these dreams? Joseph says this. He says, I can't do it. I cannot do it. But God, and here he implies God working through me, I can't do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And so he tells him, look, you know, I I know you think I'm gifted. I know you think I'm a pretty good administrator. I know you think that I can just interpret dreams and, and do these great things. I know you think I can help you, but guess what? I can't do it. I can't do it. Only the living God, living and working through me, can I do any of these things? Can I have any great and significant impact in this world? Joseph knew that he was utterly dependent upon God. And when he acknowledges that to Pharaoh, Pharaoh sees something inside of him. It says, Pharaoh sees the spirit of God in Joseph. Now you have to realize, Pharaoh was viewed as a God in his day. People viewed Pharaoh as God. But Pharaoh, this false God, he recognized the spirit of the true God in Joseph's life. And as I've been studying this week, I've been, I've been wondering, you know what? I wonder if people like Pharaoh, people who don't know me, people who don't even know God, I wonder if they see the spirit of God living in me. I wonder if they see that I am dependent upon God. If they see that I am dependent every breath upon him. Or do they just see me as somebody being independent and somebody trying to live on my own power in my own way? I wonder if people see your dependence on God and see the spirit of God living in you. And I wonder that because I believe that before God begins to do great things through us, he wants to increase our dependence upon him. Because really any any great impact we have in this world isn't because of something deep inside of ourselves, it's because of God. God and his Holy Spirit working in and then through us. God wants to work in us before he works through us. And he wants to do great things. And this week I came across a news story about a a couple who are doing some great things. And I'll I'll close with this story. It's, It's a couple here. I think we have their picture Their names are Thomas and Freddie McMillan. And Thomas and Freddie live in Bruton, Alabama. Anybody know where Bruton is? Okay. I don't either. But on Google Maps, on Google Maps, it's just above Pensacola. It's the middle of nowhere, Alabama. Thomas and Freddie, uh, a while back, figured out that God was doing something in them. God had given them a love for cooking and God had also given them a love for people and especially people in need. And so one day they began serving food, giving it away through their church at a food pantry. In 2002, they established this food pantry. They began giving away some food each week and they began to see all of the hungry people in their community. 
And they realized it wasn't just the people they had in their minds. It was also a lot of elderly people. There were a lot of kids who were hungry. There were even a lot of college students who were hungry, who didn't have food. And God gave them a dream for a restaurant. So they kept that dream in their hearts. They kept serving. They kept growing. They kept cooking for other people, giving away foods at the local community college. And then in 2018, their dream finally came to fruition, and they started this restaurant called Drexel and Honeybees. And their slogan, as you can see, is, We Feed the Need. And the unique thing about this restaurant is that this restaurant has no prices on the menu. There's no suggested donation. They simply have one little box in the back. And so this restaurant, in a sense, is fully dependent upon God, working through other people and their gifts for its operation. And so every day, they wake up at the crack of dawn, they begin cooking and feeding people who are in need. And, and right now, they're, they're feeding about over 100 people a day. They said the average donation is about $111 at the end of each day. But they're somehow making it work with God working through them. And as I think about their restaurant, you know, like this restaurant is probably never going to have franchises all over the world. It's probably not going to win a Michelin star or, you know, some, you know, great and fabulous reviews. It's not going to make them a lot of money because they're already giving a lot of their money to the restaurant. It's not going to have the greatest burger. But this restaurant is a great thing that God is working through. God is doing great things through them in this small town in the middle of nowhere. And now God is starting to spread their story all over the world. But what I love about their story is that we see that before God was doing great things through them and through this restaurant, God started with something small. With a passion for cooking, eyes to see other people in need, and a heart of love. So I want you to think and reflect this morning. What might God be wanting to do in you during this season of your life? Maybe it's specifically developing your character through the midst of trials. Maybe it's developing skills and gifts in you. Maybe you've been trying to live on your own and you're seeking to live in full dependence upon God. I don't know what it is for you. But I want you to ask God to help show you this morning. So let's go before him and pray. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to live and die and rise again for us. And that through him, through his forgiveness, through the renewed love and the renewed life that you give for us through him, God, that, that, that you want to do great things through us. We give you thanks for that for this desire to make an impact, to share your love with other people. And God, a lot of us, we don't know where to start. We feel like we're, we're just living small lives right now. And not much is happening around us or through us. But God, no matter where we are in life, whether we have some kind of public platform or whether we, we feel like we're just living life on our own, God, we pray that you would work in us today and during this season. God, we pray that you would develop character in each of us. That you would help us to become more and more dependent upon you. And God, we ask 
you would begin developing those skills and those gifts that you've given to us, even though they might seem tiny. God, help guide us on the next step that you want us to take. Fill us with your Holy Spirit because we can't do this on our own. And above all, fill us with love. Because we know that whatever we do, even if it seems great in the world's eyes, if it's not done with love, it doesn't matter. So God, fill us with your love and fill us with your spirit today. And it's in Jesus' holy name that we pray.